Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at the passage that was read to you from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And my message is this, fighting against God. Question mark, fighting against God. I want us to consider Luke's account of a second wave of persecution the early church faced in Jerusalem after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Just prior to this account, Luke has told us of two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who are guilty of telling lies to God. And now, in this account, by the end of the chapter, we have a whole group of people who in the final analysis, in verse 39, are in danger of fighting against God, opposing God. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine if that were found to be true of you. In the final analysis, that you were fighting against God. Now Ananias and Sapphira telling a lie to God. A lie to the one who is truth itself. Who sees and knows all things. Constructing or attempting to construct a different reality apart from the one who is reality and truth itself. Telling a lie to God. That is fruitless and foolish. But to oppose God, to stand against the one who made everything, to rail against the one who is all-powerful and just and wise, to be found that you are opposing the one whom no purpose of whom can be thwarted. Imagine that. Imagine that was true of you. It would be like trying to prevent the rising of the sun by closing your eyelids. It is foolish and fruitless. And yet, in opposing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and opposing the apostles, that is what the Jewish leaders are in danger of doing here, of opposing, fighting against God. And what this means is, and what Luke, our writer, wants us to see, if it's negative to oppose this message is to fight against God, what he wants us to see is this, that Christianity, that its message, that the Christian church are of God, they are from God. Luke is writing his gospel and acts to give certainty about what is being taught. He is writing the uh, acts about all that Jesus continued to do by his Holy Spirit. And, and he wants us to see that this gospel, this message of Christianity, which in the passage I read to you, he describes as the teaching, as the words of life, as the message of the name of Christ and the Messiah, this message is of God. It's not a firework that blazes up the sky and then goes out. It's not even like a flow of lava that eventually cools down. This 
message is the true flame of God. It is the finger of God. This message, this gospel message, is the great exodus. This is the tree that will come from a mustard seed and fill the whole earth. The Christian gospel is of God and it will ultimately prevail in history and eternity. And I want us to go through this account, and it's a gripping account, and show us four ways that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is from God. And then I'm going to ask each one of us to consider that in opposing this gospel, we might found to be opposing God himself. And there's this glorious truth that emerges from this. That in resisting Jesus Christ, we oppose God and we fight against him. But embracing Jesus Christ and trusting him, what we find is that God fights for us. Four things in the passage that I want us to see this morning. The first thing is this, and it's in verse 12 to 16. The miraculous attestation of the gospel shows it is from God. The miraculous attestation of the gospel shows it is from God. You're in the house, you have a knock at the door, and uh, you open it, and a man says, hello, I'm from the, the gas company, I'd just like to come in and check your meter. Do you let him in? Do you let him in? Well, you could He looks like a gas man, but how do you know he's the gas man? How do you know? And you say, well, I'd like to see some attestation. You probably don't use that word. You're like, I'd like to see some proof. I'd like to see some confirmation. I'd like to see something that validates your claim. And he produces the little badge from the company. You look at it. You say, okay, you've got accreditation from the the company. I will let you in. The early life of the church in Jerusalem was attested by these incredible, miraculous signs. Confirmation that this gospel is of God. Signs and wonders regularly done by the hands of the apostles. Verse 12, done by among among all the people. There they are in the temple in Solomon's portico and and yet people are favorably disposed to the church. These incredible signs are doing. The number of believers is growing and yet there's this also this respectful distance. Something awesome is happening. It was as if Jesus Christ himself was walking amongst them which of course by his spirit and through his word, he was. The apostles are shown to be the the successors of Christ, bearing his message. Peter walks down a street and even if his shadow falls on people, people are healed. There's nothing illogical or irrational about these miracles. If we believe in a creator God, he's well able to step into history and do things that show his presence and reality. Here we have the confirmation, the attestation. Are they going to open the door to this gospel? Should they embrace it? Well, these signs, these miracles show that it is of God, that is of him. 
Peter said on the day of Pentecost that Jesus, was a, uh, Jesus Christ was a man validated, confirmed by many miraculous signs. And here we have signs confirming the origins and the truth of the gospel. Have you ever wondered that as you read the gospel accounts? I hope you've engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why all these miracles? Why these signs and wonders. We're not given to believe that this is something that's going to continue in every stage of church history. Why particularly in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, in the origins of the early church, why these miracles? Well, the God who is there is speaking to us. This is the attestation, the the validation that this gospel is of him and it satisfies every longing of the human hearts. In fact, the miracles, they are supernatural, but they're, they're, they're real things. What we lo- the kingdom of God that we long for, the healing of sickness, the binding of Satan, the dispelling of his work, all of this shows that the one knocking at the door, the one who is there is good and we can trust him. And ultimately, the kingdom of God, when Jesus returns, this is where it goes. This is from God. And you have nothing to fear from him. The miraculous attestation of the gospel shows us it is from God. And I would say to you this morning, if you've come along, and you've come to this church and you've heard the preaching of the word and you're struggling with it, look at the New Testaments. Look at the evidence that is there. Look at how God confirms himself to us in his words. And yet I think you've probably also seen something in the lives of Christians, something in the way that Christians live that confirms you there's something in this. The miraculous attestation of the gospel shows it's from God. And the life of the church confirms that this is of God's. Second thing in the passage that confirms that the Christian gospel is of God is this. And it's a a negative witness. The jealous persecution from the religious leaders shows us that the gospel is from God. Verse 17, and then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. You can have such a thing as a a negative witness. I have a friend who was converted after university when he was 21. He became a Christian. Uh, The way he did it, well, he didn't convert himself. The way it happens was he suddenly saw that his atheism was illogical. It didn't make sense of the suffering in his life. It didn't make sense of the world around him. So he decided to look through every option that he could. He didn't want to go down Christianity. He'd been told all his life that that was wrong. So he looked at every religious option that was available to him. He researched Islam. He looked at the New Age movements. And my friend said to me, I looked through every option I could. He said, do you know what the common denominator amongst all of them was? The common denominator was Jesus. Because all of these religions all had something to say about Jesus. 
They all seemed keen to say that he was a prophet or he was this or he was that. And he said, instead of listening to that, I thought, well, I better look at what Jesus says he is and who Jesus says he is. And so there was a negative witness. The fact that they were so keen to prove it actually confirmed to him that this Jesus, I must take him seriously. You can have a negative witness. And actually, the, the persecution of the early church is a witness to the truth of the gospel. As hard as they try to uh, put out, snuff out the flame of the early church, the high priest and the Sadducees only serve to confirm it. That's the glory of this story. Because they, they kind of overreach themselves. They're filled with indignation. They are jealous of the attention the apostles are getting. The fierceness of their onslaught against the gospel shows that they have got something to lose and something to hide. They show themselves to be weak and powerless, even as they're in a position of power. So they lay their hands on the apostles, they put them in this prison, and yet the apostles slip through their fingers gloriously. An angel of the Lord comes in, in the night and leads them out of the prison and says, go into the temple, preach all the words of this life. And when they come to meet and they're deciding what to do about the apostles the next day, they say, go and get them. There's the guard. There's the doors locked. It's an incredible story, isn't it? They open it and they have flown from the snare. They have escaped the fowler's trap. God is with them. And all this rage, all this persecution does is serve to confirm that this gospel is of God's and that they have something to hide and something to lose. Their fury and their jealousy and their persecution says more about them than it does about Jesus. So the miraculous life of the early church shows that this gospel of God, even this persecution, confirms the truth of the gospel. And I wonder if there's somebody here this morning and you kick against coming to church, and you kick against this gospel. You can argue your friend into a corner about Christianity. You are so intent to prove that it's not true. But actually, I wonder if that says more about you than that does about the gospel. You can argue too strongly. And very often, it's got something to do with power. We stand to lose something if it's true. Says something about us and what we hang on to. And so, if that is the case, a passage like this in Acts is putting the finger on you and saying, really? Aren't you shouting too much? Don't you protest a little bit too much? And actually the gospel exposes that actually before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't want him as king. We kick against him. It's not a question of facts. It's a question of our hearts. It's not a question of our heads. Is it true intellectually? Very often, it's a question of our knees. We don't want to bow before this. And our reaction serves to, true, show, show, serves to prove this is true. 
So the miraculous life of the early church shows this is from God. The jealous persecution shows that this is from God. Third thing I want to say is this. The bold proclamation of the gospel shows us that it is from God. Look at verse 27, 28. They take the apostles, they put them before the council. Imagine how... uh, terrifying this is there they are amongst the whole council they've been there before and the men say did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name look you failed Jerusalem with this teaching you're intending to bring this man's blood on us it's highly ironic do you see the link between Moses and Pharaoh there's these men they think they're Moses They think they're the true spokespeople of God. But in standing against Jesus, they're Pharaoh. And it's the apostles who are Moses who are standing for the truth of God. And the boldness of their proclamation is so compelling under pressure. What are you like under pressure? What are you like when everything is up for grabs? Very often when we are most under pressure, what is clearest to us comes out. And it's incredible. And it's one of the compelling things about Christianity that these men keep their heads, that the clarity and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines forth even under intense pressure. Look at this. Look at Peter's reply. He stands up and says this. We must obey God rather than men. This message is of God. They fear God and they clearly tell them what this message is. The message that they've been teaching and preaching. That God has been faithful to all his Old Testament promises in raising up Jesus. They start with a resurrection. This is the capstone of everything. Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected. He's the cornerstone. He is raised from the dead. They are clear on the guilt of their listeners. You murdered him. You crucified him by putting him on a tree. A tree. A a cursed death. A death under the law that, that was a judgment of God. The wrath of God. And yet, this cursed, shameful death is the death of the Son of God, not suffering for his own sins, but the sins of the world. Verse 31, God has exalted him to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance for Israel and forgiveness of sins. And it's a message of grace. What I can't get over in this passage, there are the apostles, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, they boldly proclaim Jesus but they offer them forgiveness and grace to the very people who are persecuting them. They offer hope of forgiveness if they will turn. Do you see, this is not intellectual one-upmanship. This is life and death. This is the gospel of grace that they hold out to everybody. And you might kick against Christianity. You might kick against the gospel. You might be here and you're fighting against it. But it's a gospel of grace to you. If you will come and trust him, there is love and forgiveness and pardon and favour to be known. I once heard the story of a a hairdressing shop in Glasgow. And there was a lady in the hairdressing shop. Uh, She was one of the staff. She worked there. 
and she was handing out, she'd become a Christian, she was handing out leaflets to a Christian event and uh, she was handing it out to all the hairdressers and she handed out to this one guy who was a hairdresser. She said, I'd like you to come. This guy hated anything to do with religion or Christianity. And he just flipped in front of her, in front of everybody in the hairdressing salon. He said, I don't care for that rubbish. He ripped up the leaflets. He stormed out the shop in front of all the customers. The leaflets were everywhere, dispersed on the floor. And uh, he stormed off. When he came back after he called down, he found the lady sweeping all the leaflets up. Uh, She put them in a corner uh, and put them down. And later that day, when they were clearing up, she gave him a, a leaflet and said, would you still like to come? And he couldn't believe that this lady had forgiven him. He couldn't believe that she would be so kind and so gentle. Very often, that is what wins people, is that the gospel is a word of grace. It's incredible here that pardon is being offered to the very people who kick against it. That's my story if you're a Christian. That's your story. Sometimes I feel I was raised up in a Christian home, but I I still feel like the Apostle Paul. I'm preaching the faith I I tried to destroy. I, I kicked against this, and yet the gospel is a word of pardon to those who will come. So the miraculous life of the early church shows it's from God. The jealous persecution of the church shows that this is from God. The bold proclamation of the gospel under pressure shows us that this is of God. And the fourth thing I want to say is the agnostic moderation, the unlikely moderation of Gamaliel shows us this gospel is from God. So there they are in the council they boldly proclaim in Christ. Verse 33, when they hear this, the council are furious. They're going to be ripped, ripped to shreds. They're plotting to kill them. And then there's a restraining voice. A man, a real figure of history. Luke has done his research. This is a, a real historical figure, as all these people are, because this is the truth. Gamaliel. He's talked about in Josephus' history. He's a widely respected Jewish teacher, a Pharisee at the time. He stands up and he gives some moderating counsel. The apostles are put outside and he said, think about what you're going to do. This is a restraining, a calming voice. He gives some examples of people who claim to be some kind of Messiah, uh, some kind of figure and got people after them like Theodos and Judas. And he said, all of this came to nothing. It all died down in a few years or so. It all came to nothing. If you go against persecuting these people, you might find uh, that actually it will come to nothing anyway. And then he speaks much better than he knows. Because if this is of men, it'll, it'll come out. It'll die out like a firework. It'll cool down. But if this is of God you'll never be able to overthrow it. And you'll even be found to fight against God. Here is Gamaliel speaking better than he knows. And there's something that's humorous here because Luke, as we read Acts, he's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, look, look at the history of the early church. Look at how the gospel spread to country after country. Look at how God has his people who worship Jesus as Messiah. Look at how the gospel came to Rome. Doesn't this confirm to you 
Doesn't it show it, this to you? Doesn't this man speak far, far better than he knows? And indeed, we can stand back and look at the history of Christianity. And look at how there are churches, gospel churches in every nation. How those churches are, are bearing up under persecution. How there's a multi-ethnic, multinational, worldwide church of Jesus Christ. Doesn't this show to you that this is of God's? Doesn't it show to you that this is the finger of God's? So here you have a, a surprising, moderating, calming voice. Sometimes in the media you get the most unlikely allies of Christianity, people who don't stand for the truth of it, but end up in some ways endorsing the church. It can be like that sometimes. You get a, a Peter Tatchell or a, a Matthew Paris, and they say something that actually uh, encourages Christian freedom, that God can surprise us like that. People who stand against and yet can be a moderating influence. And yet here's the thing. Gamaliel, he says... Let, let it alone. Let it alone. Let's see what comes of this. Let's see. The problem with Gamaliel is he gives wise restraining advice, but he does nothing to investigate the claims of the gospel for himself. He just palms it off. He kicks it into the long grass. See, you can oppose the gospel jealously, you can say, no, I want nothing to do with that. No, no, you can argue your friends against it. You can block it out. Or you can be like Gamaliel. I'll let it alone. I'll see. Uh, you kick it into the long grass. There's uh, different ways of saying no, aren't they? You can scream at somebody or you can just say a polite no. And Gal Gamaliel's doing that. He won't engage with the signs, with the evidence, with the, the fact these people are proclaiming Messiah. He just kicks it out. Even though he says... If you fight against this, you'll be found to fighting against God. He himself is doing that by not engaging with the gospel. And I wonder if here this morning, you're not a jealous persecutor. You're not vocal. And yet you're just saying, no, I can believe in Jesus sometime. Let's see what happens to it. Let's see what the world is like. Can I say that's a rubbish way of making a decision about anything? Let's see what happens when the claims of Jesus Christ are there to be seen, when the gospel is there to be grasped and experienced, Gamaliel, for all his moderation, for all his niceness, is fighting against God. Some people, some of the hardest people against the gospel of Jesus Christ are, are the most religious, who think that they're right with God through what they do, who think they've got everything already and they won't hear about the forgiveness of Christ and they won't hear about the preciousness of his name and they insulate themselves they inoculate themselves against the gospel what a tragedy what a tragedy to be found to be fighting against God opposing God well, let me just ask you to consider is that true of you you've come to church you hear the gospel you hear it preached and you call yourself to it and you say, I've got time. I can think about this. Be careful. Just be careful. Because those who oppose this message, Luke is telling us, they're the wrong side of history. You could be the wrong side of eternity. To oppose God will only lead to be 
being under his wrath, his judgments. This is urgence. And yet how different is it for those who trust Christ? Look at verse 41. And see if you can get your head around this. They departed from the presence of the council, the apostles that is, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Here are the apostles and their view of history, their view of everything is totally be transformed. The persecutions they endure, they rejoice in them because everything serves this glorious name. Everything serves to confirm the preciousness of Christ. Because if you oppose this gospel, you are fighting against God. But if you embrace this gospel, what do you find? That God fights for you. That Jesus in all his glory as the Son of God has humbled himself and died in your place. That he is prince and leader and saviour. He is the glory of God himself. And no trial, no problem, no difficulty can separate them from the love of God in Christ. You see, oh, I couldn't keep it up as a Christian. I couldn't do it. I'm not sure. Well, if you embrace Christ, he fights for you. There's a treasure that is worth everything. Brothers and sisters, if you've trusted Christ, this story is saying to you, this is the finger of God. God is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Your friends in your sixth form college will not understand. Your family's condition is difficult. Problems in your community. It trials. People stand and yet... We suffer all for the sake of the name. We must be like the apostles. We don't cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. If we oppose this gospel, we fight against God. If we embrace it, we find that God himself is fighting for us. I love the story of Jonathan Edwards. He was one of um, America's greatest theologians and philosophers. He was a gospel man. He went through many trials in his life. He was eventually, at the end of his ministry, uh, expelled from being a minister in his church, had to go elsewhere. The people had stood against his, uh, his stand on the gospel. And he had to go to a church council. Everybody was stood against him, uh, wanting him to resign. This is how one eyewitness observes Jonathan Edwards as he hears the news that he's going to be dismissed from his town and from his church. Listen to this. The faithful witness received the shock unshaken. I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure on his face, but he appeared like a man of God whose happiness was out of the reach of his enemies and whose joy was not only a future but a present good overbalancing all the imaginable ills of this life, even to the vexation of those who couldn't rest without his dismissal. If it's the name of Christ, if he is our joy, it's not just a, a future, but a present good that we have in Christ. Are you encountering opposition as a Christian? Don't stop calmly and lovingly saying that Jesus is the Christ? Or will you come to him if you're railing against him? Will you come and rest in Christ and trust in him alone?
Because this is our message, isn't it? In verse 42, Jesus is the Christ. He is the treasure of greatest worth. He is Lord and Saviour. Come and rest in him and you will find that God himself fights for you.